0: Hey Crossroads family, my name is Austin and whether you're joining us on campus or online, it's so great to have you with us. Have you ever felt rejected? Or like you weren't good enough for someone or something? Like you were unlovable? Today we're gonna look at how Jesus interacted with someone who was lonely and felt ultimate rejection from the people around her. So right now, let's welcome our senior pastor, Chuck Boorer. Good morning, good morning, and I want to say welcome to all you who are in here, all you who are watching online, and everybody on the patio, and uh, by the way, I'm excited for wherever you are, but I got to say with the weather right now, the patio's got to be like an awesome place to be, so I know some of you are going, I'm going to slip out, no, Um, (laughs) but you know what, Uh, we we are so excited for what's coming next week, I'm excited for today, can't wait for you to hear what we're going to talk about today. we've been praying about next week. We've been asking God to move in a special way. Uh, We've had these baptistries up but not filled with water. What they have in them are cards that many, actually hundreds and hundreds of you, filled out praying for people that you care about, that your heart breaks for, that you have a passion for, so they would come or be online with us, but come and be online, and they would hear about Jesus, and they would actually make a decision for Christ. So we said, who is that person you say? It would take a miracle for them to come. Maybe it's somebody who's never been willing to have a spiritual conversation. Or they've argued with you about Jesus. Or maybe it's somebody who's chained to the past. They can't seem to get free. Or someone who's chained to something in the present. And they can't can't shake it. They can't find that, that redemption that God wants for them. The greatest miracle, obviously, is that Jesus Christ came and walked the earth, and then he died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, and now because of that, that miracle goes on in every one of our lives when we give our life to Christ, and we go from what the Bible says, being dead uh, to alive. Uh, We are born again, we're we're, we're called into this amazing relationship, and so we're praying for that for other people, to experience that same miracle that we, we who know him, got to experience. Um, I'll never forget a time when I was doing next generation ministry uh, at a church, and uh, what happened is I knew one of the college girls had gone on a date with one of our college guys, and so I'm at church and I see her, and I said, hey, how was your date? And she goes, incredible. And I go, really? And she goes, no, 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 no. It was incredible. And I said, where did he take you? And you ready for this? She said, to a retirement nursing home up the street. That's where he took her. She said it was the best date she ever had. What none of us knew at the time is this young guy one day was driving to church, and he happened to look at that retirement nursing home, and he thought, I wonder if there are people in there that nobody visits. And so after church, he made his way over there, and he walked into the receptionist and said, do you have anybody here who doesn't have anybody who's visiting them? And she said, we have, we have quite a few, but there's three women in particular And he said, can I meet him? And she goes, yes, you can meet him. And so they took him in to be with them. They were sitting there. He said, hi, I'm John. And he sat down and and he began to talk to them. He asked about their life. He asked about what was going on, what their celebrations were, what their victories were. They began to ask him questions. And then he looked at them and said, I'll be back pretty soon. And they were like, wait, you'll be back? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I plan to come visit you. And he kept doing that and doing that. Uh, He probably went, I'm going to say, a couple times a week, just loving on these three women that nobody else took time to be with. Nobody else seemed to remember. And then when he asked this girl out, he told her, I want to take you to one of my favorite places. And he took her there. They played board games together. He took her on another date. They did puzzles together. And she was like, this guy is awesome. By the way, don't you think that guy is awesome that would do that? Yeah. So then the word got out, and a bunch of his friends started going with him. And you know what they were doing? Get ready. They were doing what Jesus would do, because every single person matters to Jesus. And God wants us to come and meet people and show them their value, and show them their love, and this guy did it in a way that was transformational. And you know what he would say, if you were here today, he would tell you, I got way more out of my time with them than I did in what I gave to them. You see, here's what I want you to know, is that there's so many people in the world today who are overlooked, left out, and they just feel lonely. Lonely. And there was a woman who felt that way. She was, she was plagued by more than one thing. But the greatest need she had was an intense loneliness because of an isolation she was forced into. And Jesus would not overlook her in her moment of need. He would do one of the greatest miracles in the Bible with one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Uh, It's found in Luke, but it's also found in Mark chapter 5. And what happened in Mark 5 in the beginning of that is that Jesus had gone to a place called the Gadarenes where he actually cast out 6,000 demons from one man. Now I want you to think about that. The guy had so many demons in him, their name was Legion, and a legion is 6,000. Somehow he got 6,000 demons in him. And, and the guy had amazing strength, and uh, he terrified people. And Jesus walked up, and just with his presence and just a few words, bam, he sets the man free. The apostles get in the boat, and they're returning to Capernaum, uh, which is now his hometown on the Sea of Galilee. And as they pull up, there's a huge crowd waiting for him. And, and the crowd was intense. The crowd was wanting to be next to him. His popularity had already soared uh, so that he was known throughout the land and beyond. And Jairus, Jairus, who was the head of the synagogue, and by the way, that synagogue's still there today, goes up to Jesus and and he begins to beg him. His 12-year-old daughter is sick. She's dying. He needs a miracle. He needs Jesus to intercede. And it says in Mark chapter 5, verse 23, and Jairus implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death, please come and lay your hands on her so she will get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. My little girl, my little daughter. Now she's 12, but but how he sees her still is as the daughter he loves, the daughter he wants to protect. And she's She's in trouble, and Jesus, I'm sure, was his last hope, his only hope in this moment. And the crowd, though, was huge. The crowd is pressing in. The word pressing is a very interesting Greek word. It means to crowd around to, so to leave, little room for movement, to press together, and it actually is the same word that is used for pressing grapes, So when you're pressing grapes, what are you doing? You're putting intense pressure on them. So now in this moment, there's a huge crowd gathered around him, and everybody wants to get to Jesus. There's almost no room to move, no ability to get there. And by the way, I've been in that spot, and it's pretty hemmed in. And to go from where that that boat would have landed to where his daughter was was not all that far. It was probably about the distance of our our property from here out to the parking lot. But with a huge crowd blocking you, it would make it almost impossible to make it there. It would be like a traffic jam on the 91 freeway, right? I remember one time when I had my little boy and he was sick. We knew something was wrong, but we didn't know how bad. And I've told this story before, but this part of it I might not have shared. So I'm with this doctor, Dr. Burks, and Dr. Burke said, you've got to get him to Cigna in LA. And you've got to go now. He said, this is so important. I'm not even going to call for an ambulance. I don't want you to wait. I want you to get him in the car and go straight there. They'll be waiting for you. And he said, I'm telling you, this is really bad. So I take Rich and we're walking out to the car and I'm trying not to freak him out. And And we get in the car, and we go to drive, and I get on the freeway, and the freeway is just jammed. Whenever you're in traffic, it irritates you, right? But if you have your little boy next to you, and you know he could die, man, I'll tell you what, it just seemed like it would never end. And I remember fighting inside, not screaming Not giving in to that emotion welling up because I just needed to get him to a place of safety and I couldn't. I think that's how Jairus must have felt. I think he was like, oh, you've got to be kidding. Get away. Make room. And they can't get people to back off. They can't get people to make room as they're moving forward. And so Jesus has said, I'll come. Jesus has said, I'll heal her. Jesus said, I'll be there. But he can't seem to get Jesus there. Then we come to that incredible moment in this amazing true story. Because what happened is there was a woman in the crowd who had been very, very sick. For 12 years, she had been hemorrhaging, constantly bleeding. Uh, I'm going to bring this up again, but you need to know this. Because of her condition, she was to be in isolation. Uh, She was to be isolated, and she was not to touch anyone, and no one was to touch her. For 12 years, she was left out. For 12 years, she was lonely. For 12 years, she was suffering. As a matter of fact, during that 12-year period of time, she would spend every single penny she had. And now she had come to the end of that. And she's in the crowd, and she believes with all her heart, if I could just touch Jesus, things will be better. And this is why this story is so powerful to me. Because I ask the question, do I believe that if I could just be near Jesus, things will be better? Do I have that same passion, that same desire? She had it. She had it and she was suffering and getting worse and she was lonely and she had tried everything. Uh, it's interesting that uh, the book of Mark is actually the story of Jesus from, from Peter's vantage point. Uh, Mark uh, was a relative of Peter and Peter told it to Mark and Mark wrote it down. Uh, the book of Luke, by the way, was written from the vantage point of Luke, a physician, a doctor. And I do wonder, quick uh, moment, if this woman is one of the reasons Luke ended up following Jesus. But it's interesting the two different points of view about what occurred. In the book of Mark in in chapter 5 verses 25 and 26, it said a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and it endured much at the hands of many physicians. I think that's very interesting that Peter points out the doctors were making her life miserable. And said, and spent all she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. That's what Peter said. That everything they tried just made her worse and they took all her money. Uh, In Luke uh, 8, Luke, who's a doctor, writes this. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, it could not be healed by anyone. It's kind of interesting, the two views. Peter said the doctors made her life miserable and Luke said we tried everything we could. But no matter what, she was out of money. She had nowhere else to turn. But she had faith, and she had a conviction that if she could just touch Jesus, she would be made well, she would be healed, and she would experience a miracle. See, one of the things we know is that we need to to be people of faith to experience miracles. We need to be people of conviction, and we need to be a people of obedience. But you've got to have such conviction that you are going to believe that Jesus will do something that there's no way anyone else could do. And the crowd was huge. And she's small and she's weak. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She's anemic for sure. And she somehow has to get to Jesus in a crowd of strong people who are already there. Who are already surrounding him. Yet she was so passionate that she found a way to try to get as near to Jesus as she could. And she does all she can to touch him. But then it happens, Luke 8, verse 44. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately the hemorrhage stopped. She, she touches him, and she's healed. But there's something there you don't want to miss. What you don't want to miss is it says she touched the fringe of his cloak, Uh, Some think that Jesus was probably wearing a prayer shawl, which would have reached all the way to the ground. It would have had tassels on it, and that's where she touched the tassel. Uh, That's the word that's actually used. It's not just fringe, it's the tassel. Uh, Others know that Jesus would have worn a robe, and being a rabbi, he would have had those tassels at the bottom. But here's what, whether he was the prayer shawl or the robe, she is reaching all the way to the ground to touch the fringe. Now, the reason that's significant is, remember, the crowd is pressing in with great pressure. She would not have gotten on her hands and knees in that crowd. They would have crushed her. Uh, Dave is right over here. and Dave, I love, I love how you help me out, man. Don't you guys love when Dave helps out? Oh. But Dave, uh, just the other night, you told me that you were at a sporting event. And people were, as they were leaving, were jamming in and pressing in, and you actually felt like a, a, some anxiety. They were like, "If I go down, I'll be killed." Do you remember that, Dave? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't in a Charger game for sure. Um, <laughs> but, but what I want you to know is this: There's no way she would have knelt. There's no way she would have laid on the ground, not on purpose. What she was thinking is, I've got to touch Jesus. So knowing the story and knowing the words that are used, she's in the midst of this huge crowd that's pressing. And as Jesus comes by, he now, she's behind him. She's not ahead of him anymore. She's not beside him. She's behind him. And so I believe based on this story, the crowd moved. She was knocked to the ground. And she thought, I've got to get him. I've got to get him. And she reaches out and touches the, the fringe. And Bam! Power goes out and she's healed. Yeah. It would be this last bit of effort, this last bit of strength. She wanted to be, to be in Jesus' presence so badly. She wanted to touch him so badly. She was that desperate. She was that motivated. She had that great of faith. And that's where I marvel at her faith. How many times... How many times do many, if if not all of us, just give up? Things get bad, things get hard, you think, I'm done. Just give up. It's interesting to me that Jesus sat with a man who had just given up, and he said to him, do you want to be well? And the guy said, well, no one can help me. No one helps me. He just had this victim mentality. This woman, she had a faith mentality. I know Jesus can do it. I know he'll make the difference. See, I got to ask the question, when I get up in the morning, how badly do I want to be with Jesus? Throughout the day, how passionate am I? How zealous am I to be in his presence? When we gather together as a church, and by the way, I look forward to being with you so we can worship together. But do we come in here? With this passion to worship Jesus and be close to him. Expecting to be touched by the Lord. See, that's what she had. That's why she would get this miracle. And so what happened is that she believed with all her heart it would occur. One of the things we know is this. We have to have an all-out, complete commitment to Jesus and to God. Uh, In Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. But don't miss that one part of there. God said, if you seek for me, you'll find me. In other words, God's not playing hide and seek, and you can't find God if he was hiding. He says, you'll find me when, did you catch what it says, you search for me with what? All my heart. Not half-hearted, not lukewarm, it's got to be with everything I've got that I'm continually pursuing God, wanting to be close to him, wanting his touch, wanting his movement in my life, wanting to know what he has for me. As a matter of fact, what I love about that section of Jeremiah is, is catch the context of it. Jeremiah 29 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. God says, do you know what? I've got plans for you. You have no idea about great plans, amazing plans, plans that not only benefit you in the moment, but give you a future and give you a hope. God said, I has all that for you, but you got to pray. And you got to have a passion to search for me with all your heart. And then I will bestow that upon you. I will unveil that for you. So here's the thing I want you to know. God wants it for you, for you and for me, for us. But we have to come like this woman did and say, I would do anything. I would give anything. I would give all my energy to reaching out and finding God and touching him and having his presence in my life. And you know what? Then when that happens, God unveils other things for you. See, it, it begins with us coming to him. It begins with us committing to him. But then after that, God begins to show you things and, and, and do things and, and open up eye, your eyes to things that are beyond anything you and I could ever think could occur, anything we could imagine. And I believe sometimes that I've got to ask the question, do I have that kind of desperation? Do I have that all out seeking? Do I have that complete heartfelt desire? See, that woman had it. In Mark 5 28, 29, it says, For she thought, if I just touch his garment, I'll get well. I, uh, I, I teach people to pray a lot in different settings. And one of the things I very often do was to ask them to sit and just try to be in the presence of the Lord, really get close to him. And then say that, say the words she just said, Lord, if if I could just touch you, I know everything's going to be great. I know everything's going to be okay. Maybe you're in a moment of stress and and anxiety is welling up and you just sit and you calm yourself and you get close to Jesus and say, if I could just touch you right now, Lord, if I could be touched by you, everything's going to be okay. And then you just let his peace come. Maybe you're You're in a moment where you say there's no possible solution that anybody could see. But you say, Lord, I I just want to be close to you. And if I could just be touched by you, everything's going to be okay. And uh, as you begin to do that, you begin to notice something powerful happening inside you. Something that begins to, to move as God, as Jesus, begins to do something great. See, she said, if I could just touch his garments, I will get well. And immediately the flow of blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed from the affliction. What happens when she did touch him? That that power of Jesus goes into her. And she felt it. She knew it. But here's what I want you to know. She had been wanting for 12 years to be healed of the hemorrhaging, but she had a greater need than the physical healing. See, when you see that miracle, that miracle is amazing. A woman who was incurable is now cured. But there's something bigger, something greater, something more important that needs to happen in her life. And Jesus is not going to leave that out. See, that's what I'm saying in Jeremiah, if I didn't make it clear. When we come into the presence of the Lord, he has plans for us. He has a purpose for us. He has promises for us. And so when we find him, we get all of those too. And that's what she needed. So in Mark 5, verse 30, it says, immediately Jesus perceiving in himself that power, proceeded, was a power proceeding from him had gone forth. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? I think that's pretty interesting. I, it doesn't say this, but I have a feeling when he said that, people stepped back. Not me. No, no, it was him. You know that? Like if you're in a big crowd and you go, who touched me? People would be like, whoa, ho, ho. you know, right? And you know what's so interesting? The apostles are like, wait a minute. Everybody touched you. Uh, as a matter of fact, it says in Mark 5 31, and his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Uh, by the way, I think it's interesting. Remember that the, the gospels always bring a different perspective because Mark says that all the disciples said that to Jesus. Luke says, no, it was just Peter. But Jesus said, no, Peter. Something special happened here. Power went forth. Power went forth. I think that's such an interesting phrase. That's why I keep mentioning it even earlier. The power went forth, and Jesus felt the power go forth. She felt it come upon her, and she knew the healing had happened. She knew the healing had happened. And he felt in that moment that one woman, that one woman had this occur, and then he begins to look for her. And she it actually says, when she realized she couldn't hide, when she realized there's no way that she would not now be known. That she came and she told him everything. The way Mark place uh, puts this in Mark 5.33, but the woman fearing and trembling. Now I don't want you to miss in a moment why she was afraid, why she's trembling. She's fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So she drops on her knees and she begins to say, I've been sick for over 12 years. I've been bleeding. I've tried everything I could. I spent all my money. And the doctors just made me worse. But what I don't think we may know based on what we deal with in our day and time, is what that would have sounded like back then. She said these words, I've been bleeding, and everybody went, what? See, the law was clear. She was not to be in that crowd. The law was clear. Anybody she touched became unclean. The law was clear that anybody who became unclean now had to go through a cleansing time, at least till evening. By the way, Jairus probably was standing going, you've got to be kidding me. Because Jesus now, if we're going to go by the law, can't go be with my little girl. And she did something else. She broke not only the law, she broke the custom of her day. The custom of her day was this, that a woman was never to touch a man in public unless she was his sister. Are you ready for that? Sister and brother could touch, but mother and child didn't touch, husband and wife didn't touch, and you for sure didn't touch a rabbi. And she, she touched a rabbi and she's unclean. And I'm sure people were like, Are you kidding? I mean, I, I bet you she's, they're gasping. They're like, ah! Some are going, Did she touch me? Others are going, How could she touch Jesus? What is going And by the way, the law allowed for her to be punished in extreme ways, even to the point of stoning. So she's just been healed, but now she's got to say, But I'm guilty. And so I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people were looking at her like, what are you doing? Uh, uh, when the COVID crisis began, I was on a plane, and uh, remember we all had to wear masks, and this guy, not very far from me, is coughing and hacking away. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like, do you guys know where I'm going with that? Like, all of a sudden, he, and he's going, and I'm thinking, why did you get on the plane? You know, and and that's how these people would have felt about her. What are you doing in our midst? Why would you do such a thing? Leviticus 15 could not be clearer. But you know what? She had not only been struggling with her physical condition, she had been in quarantine for 12 years. For 12 years, she lived in isolation. For 12 years, nobody touched her. For 12 years... She knew what it was like to be incredibly, incredibly lonely. During the COVID crisis, I've talked to more than one person who either was exposed or had COVID. And they said that two-week period, our 10-day period of isolation was grueling. One was a mom whose daughter was getting married. She had to sit in a bedroom with no one coming to see her, listening through the door as they were planning her daughter's wedding. She could text or she could send messages to her, but it wasn't the same. She goes, I felt so alone. I felt so left out. Another was a, a man who wanted to protect his family, so he went and got a hotel room by himself, and he said, I felt like I was in prison. This woman felt that way for 12 years. For 12 years of loneliness, 12 years of isolation, 12 years of not touching anybody. Genesis 2.18, God said this, it is not good for man to be alone. And today we know there's a pandemic of loneliness. Uh, in Canada, they have declared it a national, uh, a national uh, a need to begin to try to fo- find a way to solve the loneliness problem. Here in the United States, we're beginning to address it too. I uh, have told you this before, but Cigna, uh, Cigna Health in 2018 released a study on the devastating effects of loneliness and said that loneliness is so harmful, it's the same as smoking 18 or 15 cigarettes a day. It's a, it's, it's, it has a more devastating effect on your health than obesity. And this woman was experiencing that. This woman was experiencing that. And she needed a touch. She needed Jesus. She needed something to occur that would be incredibly special. And that's where the miracle comes. The physical healing is one thing. But the the miracle of meeting her greatest need comes now. When in Mark chapter 5 verse 34. Jesus said to her daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The Greek word that's there for daughter is the same one Jairus uses for his daughter. And so what Jesus is saying to this woman who's obviously older is you're like my little girl. You're my special one. Uh, It's a term that is used uh, for someone you have intense affection for. So rather than condemning her, rather than rebuking her, he looks and says, I want you to know that not only do you have a physical healing, but you now have my love, and you now are a part of my family. He was saying to all the apostles, she's one of us. He was saying to everybody in the church, she's one of us. See, the, the thing that you need to know is that the church is God's greatest design to do away with the problem of loneliness where we come together not to sit in a crowd but to be a family that has very real relationships with each other. That's what we're supposed to be. <laughs> Abraham Maslow did a study on what he called the hierarchy of needs. And, and he believed there were certain needs that were more needed than others for you to live a healthy life. And uh, he put number one on the list, survival. And a lot of us have looked at that and said he's wrong. The number one need is not survival. The number one need is love. You know what? There isn't a mom here that I bet you wouldn't give your life for your child. Why? Because of love. Some of you would say, there's people I love so much, I would die for them. And we see that happen all the time. People who would choose to put their needs aside, their desires aside, because somebody they love needs it more. The greatest need you have and I have is love, and loneliness is the absence of love, just like darkness is the absence of light. And the Lord says, but I don't want you to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. And this woman was no longer to be left alone. She was now to be loved to be a part of a family. That's why I I try to make sure that all of you know and all of us know that Jesus did die on the cross for your sins. You know, we all have sin and Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but he didn't die just so you'd be forgiven of your sins. That wasn't why he died. He died because he loved you and he loves you. He died on the cross so there would not be a, a separation between you and God. And then he died so you could not only know him, but you could know God as your father, as a real father, and that you would be a part of a family, the church. See, Jesus died so that you could have life better than you ever imagined and love deeper than you could ever hope for. That's why he died. And he gave his life for you and me so that we would know a miracle, a miracle of never being lonely, of never being alone, of always having him, and also having each other, our church family. Today, there's some of you who you need that, you need his love in a very real way, and you know what? It's as close. The answer is as close as you opening up your heart and calling out to him. Remember, it, Jesus said there. God, God said this in Jeremiah 29. He said. You will find me if you seek for me with all your heart. And so if you would just with your heart say, Lord, I want you. I want you. I want your presence. I want your touch. I want the life you have for me. The Lord would never turn you away. He loves you way too much. And he just wants you to call out to him. And so right now, there's some of you, you need to pray that prayer for the first time. There's some of you who need to pray it to recommit your life because there's a story in the Bible called the prodigal son of a child of of the father who wanders away and, and gets caught up in things they shouldn't. And when he comes back, the father runs to him and throws a party because he's home. Some of you need to come home to a father who loves you. So I want to pray right now for any of you who need to say yes to the Lord for the first time. Or you need to recommit your life to him. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for anybody who needs to open up their heart to you and commit their life to you and experience your love in a very special way. Father, for those who are doing this for the very first time, I pray God you would touch them. I pray this is a moment they would say yes to you and they would let your love come upon them and your power be within them. I pray for anybody who needs to recommit, Lord. And and I pray right now that would happen. That they would realize that you've never, ever abandoned them. You've never forsaken them. That you've always loved them. But there's no need to be a far apart any longer. So, Lord, for those who need to say yes to you, I pray they're going to do it. For a man who's here, and he is lonely. And it hurts, it aches. God, I pray this is the day that's going to come to a wonderful end because he's going to experience your love. For a, a mom who's here that feels like she's just given everything she has but no one notices. I pray, oh God, she's going to open her heart to you right now and come to know your love and that you've always seen her. Father, for... Uh, person who's a young college person and single and God it just seems like that that life has moved in such a way that they have less people who are around them and less and they're wondering are they going to be all alone because they feel that way I pray they're going to come to you now too so Lord I want to pray right now for anybody who needs to commit or recommit their life if that's you pray this prayer with me Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me and I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and pain. And I pray you'll free me from anything or anyone that's holding me down or holding me back. But most of all, pray these words, but most of all, I pray you'll make me yours and I pray you'll make me alive and I pray you'll make me brand new. So I say yes. And if those are the only words you can say, say it. It's like that reaching out to touch the fringe. Say, I say yes. I say yes. I say yes to you and I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen if you prayed that prayer. And if you prayed that prayer, praise God. But I want to tell you, you need to do a next step. Because God does not want you to do something that important that matters that much and not do something about it. So if you're watching online, we want you to let us know who you are by texting amen to 77247. Or go to crossroadschurch.family and click I said yes. But as you go today, may you go knowing that the Lord is for you, that he loves you. May you go also watching him unveil his plans that he has for you so that you may experience them completely. God bless you and have a great day. Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people taking their next step. So what's your next step? Whether you made a decision to follow Jesus, want to get baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next steps at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your friends and family to join us right here online again next week. We're live on Wednesdays at 7pm or Sundays at 9am. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we could pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads, and if you want to be a part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.